Hey everybody, it's Tim here, Horror Movie Yearbook. I I had to real quick. So what this is, it's our five-year anniversary this week, actually. Technically, it was yesterday, but it would have been Friday five years ago, the 14th, October 14th, 2016. So we've been doing this Horror Movie Yearbook for five years. And for the first time in five years, I've never listened to this episode. What I what we've got coming up here is our first episode of the podcast. And for the first time in five years, I listened back to it because uh, I wanted to post it for everybody. It's kind of like a five-year celebration thing, calling it HMY Classic. But for the first time in forever, I listened to it. And I had to record a quick introduction here. So a couple of observations on what you're about to listen, listen to. This is our first episode. I am so nervous. Oh, Willie is a pro, as usual. But uh, we were so incredibly motivated. We were doing like three movies a week and three separate segments. Uh, we didn't have a time machine noise. Once again, Willie being the pro that he is, saves the entire podcast with a time machine noise real quick. Um. I tell some personal stories on this too that are really funny looking back at. I'm sure I told these things. Uh, we we don't we back off some things now. We don't talk about current events as much anymore. Maybe we will be ready to talk about the events of 2021 and 2020 to 2020 in five years. Um, we sp- we do spend way too much time talking about things other than the movies we are cover- covering. Um, one of the things that has changed also in the last five years is the way. We talk a little bit about the boneheaded decisions that some people make in horror movies not being believable. And Willie and I were talking last night, like everything, every dumb decision everybody has ever made in a horror movie is believable to us now since the year of 2016. Uh, we are still annoyed with very social with social media in general, and that comes across in a big way. I get very ranty in the Blair Witch segment. This also this episode features maybe my favorite bit in the history of the show, which is a quiz about category three as Asian exploitation film titles. There's also a bit in here at the end. Uh, we dropped the we used to grade the entire year and we dropped that whole bit pretty quick. I don't even remember we did this. I totally forgot about it. Anyway, so this is our old format where we did where we talked about three three movies per episode. And focused on a year. I like our new format a little better where we talk about one movie only or basically we just talk about whatever. I like that the new format much better. This is fun to listen back to now, but it is long and we cram a ton into this episode. And I remember it being that way for the first year or two of the show. The the episode's really good, I think, but it is long. So fair warning, some of our new episodes are long, too. Um, And even though we still get distracted by kind of like non-horror conversation. It gives the new format gives our show a little bit more time to breathe. It's not even that new anymore. We've been doing it for like two or three years, but whatever. Um, But that's what I really noticed while looking back on this. Uh, This is a, this is a breathless show. And there are some segments like the movie award segment that I, I realized we probably could have cut that out, but whatever there, there's also some nice in dreams talk about the movie in dreams with the net betting. So be on the lookout for that. Anyway, this is a, I'll let you listen to it now, but uh, real quick before before you do listen to it, I want to to everybody who's with been with us for the past five years or has just been with us for a couple of months too. We do appreciate all of your listenership, your help with everything. It's been it's been quite a fun last five years. I think I, I speak for Willie saying the same, um, but I, I do especially want to p- t- thank the people that have been with us since October of 2016. Um, we couldn't have done it without you, and uh, you've all been fantastic. So thank you very much. And now enjoy the first ever episode of Horror Movie Yearbook. 
everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Horror Movie Yearbook. I am one of your hosts, Tim Long, of the Midwest Podcast Network, and I am joined by... Willie, also of the Midwest Podcast Network. Perfect. Uh, I just want to start off by giving everybody a quick introduction of what we're going to be doing here on Horror Movie Yearbook um, before we get started. Horror Movie Yearbook is going to feature Willie and I discussing a few horror movies every couple of weeks from a specific year. So, for example, today we are going to talk about the year of 1999 and what we feel are three important movies from that year, The Blair Witch, Sixth Sense, and Audition. Um, Willie and I are both four, uh, we're both horror fans still to this day. And one of the things that we love to do, like a lot of horror fans, is get together and talk about the different eras of horror movies and the trademarks and tropes that are found within each era. So we thought it would be a lot of fun to kind of unpack each of the each of these eras, um, not just by decade, but by the year they were released. So, I mean, I think the goal of this podcast is to kind of look at the movies that were released in a specific year and place them within the context of what was going on in the world at the time. Um, So kind of what our fears are at the time, what was going on in horror movies, kind of et cetera. Um, It should be said before we get started, we're mainly going to be focused on the 70s and onward um, for the podcast. We've talked about doing some kind of special episodes pre-1970. Um, because there's a lot of cool stuff out there. But we also understand that most of the interest in horror movies lies in the years post-1970s, I think. Mm -hmm. Fair to say. Um, Also, because we want listeners. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. So, um, And it's also, Willie and I are uh, red-blooded Americans. Sure, of course. And um, so it's going to be pretty American-centric, too. Yeah, I think we're going to try, and obviously with Audition this week, um, we're going to try to dip a little bit here and there into some of the foreign stuff. Exactly. Um, Because, you know, I mean... You know, a country like Japan is facing different challenges than a country like the USA. Right. Yeah. So I think where we can, we'll, we'll dip into it. But Exactly. But yeah, for the most part, and also one other thing, we're straight up going by what year Wikipedia said the movie was released, <laughs> yes. by the way. Yes. I know, like, I'm sure, like, Audition didn't come out until, like, 2000, 2001 in America. But on Wikipedia, it says 1999. Yes. So that's what I'm sticking with. Hey, I like that. Yeah. Um, The other thing, too, is we're kind of, as you probably already noticed, we picked 1999 for year one, um, which maybe doesn't make sense uh, chronologically, but we don't care. Nope. We're having fun, and we're picking random years. So who knows what next week is going to, or not next week, next episode is going to be. Yep. Um, I guess you'll find out. And that's one of the other things we encourage as much feedback as possible. So if you have a year or something that you want to hear, write us. Um, Because the most important thing we want to do on this podcast is have fun. Um, We are all attracted to horror movies for different reasons. I know for me personally, uh, one of the big reasons I love horror movies is because I have a lot of fun watching these movies, even when they're not very good. Yeah, sometimes they're more fun when they're not good. Yeah. Right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I don't have fun all of it. There's time. levels of bad. It's not yeah. just good and bad. There's yeah. levels of bad. Right. Yeah. There's I, acceptable bad, and then there's, like, I don't know, uh, Troll 2. Right. That's still pretty good. What though. was the one we were crapping on the other day from 99? Oh, boy. Oh, In Dreams, starring Annette Bedding. Yeah, not so good. Um, <laughs> we we messed around on, on Flick Chart for a little while yeah. together. And uh, In Dreams lost, I think, every matchup it had. Right. Yeah, so. Even to The Haunting, um, another 1999 <laughs> movie. So um, that's basically the mission statement for this podcast. Kind of less of a review show, more of a discussion show, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, so that is out of the way. Let's jump into a little bit of an intro on who we are, your hosts for this wonderful adventure. Yes. Willie, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, boy. I well, know you, but um, the people don't. 
Yeah, they don't know me, maybe, possibly. Well, you know, Tim and I, um, we kind of started our podcasting uh, relationship together on the Midwest Film Nerds podcast, and we are we knew each other before that, but we're both big fans of, of horror movies, as Tim said. Um, and I've been a fan since I was, oh, geez, way too young to be watching them. Um, I remember my dad being very cool about what I watched as long as he watched it with me or he had seen it beforehand and explained to me that this stuff was uh, make-believe and that you shouldn't run around with a machete and uh, and attack your friends. Um, I think for me, my love of horror movies um, stems from a very kind of primal place in terms of I think we all as human beings find... um, find death fascinating mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and i think we all like to be scared and like to see what uh death and horror looks like on screen because it's it's there it's not tangible but it's there in front of you and it can kind of help you face your own fears about certain things right and, and sometimes like you said it's just fun you know um there are there are certain movies it's just it's just fun to watch um but i think i got my my kind of horror uh, for lack of a better term, uh, cherry popped um, with uh, Night of the Living Dead in '68. Um, I well, I didn't watch it in '68, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't there for the for the premiere. You have a time travel. I machine? wasn't there on the uh, on the red carpet, but um, but uh, I I remember watching that at a very young age, and I will never forget the feeling I had afterwards, the the looking over my shoulder and the. But it was fun, right? You know what I mean? It was safe, right? It was it was safe to be scared. Um, thrilling to be scared, but also safe. And that one, I think, once I saw that, and uh, shortly after Halloween, it, things really kind of kind of took off for me there. Right. And, and then I got into more insane, crazy stuff, and the rest is history. We'll be talking about some of that today. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of in the uh, same boat. I I think I got into horror a little bit later than Willie, but one of the first memories I have is um, probably Friday nights. On HBO when I was really young, my dad would, my dad would throw on um, Tales from the Crypt. Oh man! And he would, he would kind of only let me watch the opening segment with the Crypt Keeper. That's all it took. <laughs> but because he would, because there was uh, there was every once in a while there'd be some nudity in Tales from the Crypt, and nudity not good, but a decrepit skeleton totally fine. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, a cackling <laughs> monster. But I also I think, and I think he. He just realized I really liked the crappy jokes he told. Um, <laughs> but that opening for Tales from the Crypt is kind of, it, it's perfect. And it's kind of a gr- great gateway horror because it, it kicks in and it takes you through the house and it's got the music playing and it's goofy and fun and it's kind of spooky and like a Halloween sort of spookiness. Yeah. And it gets down. I remember being scared every single time, and I knew it was coming, but the Crypt Keeper pops out of his coffin, and he just starts cackling like a maniac into the camera, and it would freak me out. And there must have been some level of entertainment my dad got from that. I'm sure. I'm (laughs) sure. You know what's funny is I had the exact same experience with that show. I remember as soon as it starts going down the stairs, I knew, like, okay, the Crypt Keeper's going to be here in a second, and I'm going to be horrified. Right. Um, But then I, I, real quick, I remember my my dad explained to me that... um, the guy who did the voice of the Crypt Keeper also did the voice of uh, Buster Bunny on Tiny Toons. Oh, that's awesome. And so that made me less scared of him. I, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. I did that. That's great trivia. Yeah. Um, so so that is kind of, that's kind of like the first memory I have of horror 
horror movies, horror, anything. Um, as I went along, I got more and more into it. Like I would have like kind of watch parties with friends. We would watch stuff like Evil Dead all the time. And um, that was more towards high school. And then I went to college at the prestigious Central Michigan University. Oh, yeah. Fire up chips. And uh, degree in broadcasting cinematic arts while I was there. And I took a lot of film classes. And one of the film classes that I really, really loved there was the early horror class I took. It focused a lot on like 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s horror. And um, that kind of reignited a love for it. And then Willie and I have actually worked together at our day jobs mm-hmm. for quite a while. And yeah. Willie and I love to go back and forth and that that's kind of kept me, um, kept me up to speed on a lot of current horror and just having a lot of fun conversations like horror fans like to have. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the fun of being a horror fan. So it's just kind of something that's stuck with me, I think throughout my life. And I, I'm sure for a lot of people too, and we would love to hear your stories on that as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. Um, Willie, let's throw it. Let's give me a top five so people get an idea of what they're dealing with as far as our tastes. Um, okay, in no specific order, um, John Carpenter's Halloween, the original. Um, that one just chilled me to the bone <laughs> when I was a kid. I, I, I remember being so afraid of it because it looked like uh, it was shot in California um, f- f- to be used for uh, Illinois, but it looked a lot like Michigan. Um, right. which is where we're from. And so I remember being very scared of, of that movie because it felt like it could happen on my block. You know, um, that one, uh, Dawn of the Dead, 78, I believe. Okay. Um, that one freaked me out too, but it was so cool because it was such a big comic book of a movie and it was so much fun, but it's so creepy and gory and nasty at the same time. Right. Um, the Thing from 82. So Carpenter makes the list twice here. Um, it's a fantastic movie. Um, the exorcist. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which was what? 76. I want to say 76, 78. Yeah. yeah. That's probably 77. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> well, maybe we'll get around to it when we hit one of those. Years. This is another reason we started this podcast is because we're bad with the years. Yes. This will <laughs> this, help us. This will help us. Yeah. yeah. Um, the exorcist messed me up like legitimately like me that, too. that was one I should not have seen when I saw it. Um, and it scarred me for a while. I was gonna, I saw that. I saw that at an age like I was. I had seen a lot by that point, and it still screwed me up. I was raised Catholic though, too. That yeah. doesn't help. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> for yeah, wow. Or it does help. I don't know, depending on how you look at it. Right. Um. And oh, this is so tough. Uh, because there's so many that want you. You know, you want to put in there, but it's right. It's tough. Um. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Romero again. Okay. Day of the Dead. I love Day of the Dead. Yeah. Um, it's so mean. Yeah. And just brutal. Yeah. And it's so honest about how crappy people are generally. Right. <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> so it's Romero at his angriest, and I appreciate Romero when he's angry. So Me too. Yeah. Let's I will allow that top five. What's that? I will allow that top good, five. Good, good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it's <laughs> a good top five. I'm glad I'm still the co host of this show. Yeah, That's yeah. Good. That's <laughs> I will have to replace you. I will have to start interviewing people. Right. Yeah. Right. Segment the, the the second we move into the segments, you'll notice that I've disappeared and been replaced by <laughs> somebody else. Someone, someone who doesn't have Day of the Dead in there. No, oh, I liked it. I liked disgusting. Day of the Dead too. I was just Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. Um Tim, what are your uh, what are your top five? All right. Um Evil Dead Two is probably my number one, like period. Um Evil Dead 2 might be one of my favorite movies of all time. It just hits a nerve for me. Um, 
And I just remember watching it growing up. It, it's a great movie to watch with a group. I haven't done it in a long time, but I still I still watch it. I'll pop that in. It's kind of comfort for food for me in a weird way mm-hmm. at this point. Um, the rest are not in any particular order because uh, that's my number one. Um, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, I'm gonna put that on there. Um, I love the Frankenstein story. Period, and I I just think Bride of Frankenstein is a blast and kind of a beautiful movie in a lot of ways. It's very sweet. It way. is very sweet. Yeah. Um, yet we belong dead. I think <laughs> is the line from it. And I just, I, I love it beginning to end. I, and it's, it's another movie that's kind of a great, has a great balance of humor and horror. Um, Halloween, the, not the Rob Zombie version. No. Which I actually like too, but uh, no, the Carpenter version. Yeah. It's the same boat as you. I, I mean, it still kind of got to be the last time I watched it in some ways. I know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, impressive. Yeah. American Werewolf in London. Um, another movie that balances tone perfectly. I think um, I think that kind of uh, highlights my taste a little bit. When it comes it does. To these, these yeah, knowing movies. you. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think when we get into these movies, everybody will kind of see that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is Friday the 13th Part 6. Jason Lives. I got to put a Friday the 13th movie on here. It was so... None of them are. Part four was on the on the cusp for me. That's my favorite horror franchise. Right. But there's some that beat out. Right. And if you, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point on this podcast. Willie and I have a bond over part five yes. of the series. So, so uh, underappreciated. Yeah. So we'll probably get into that. But part six is another one that I think has a great balance and it's just a lot of fun and it's my favorite movie from my favorite horror series so i figured i better put it on there absolutely um so yeah i think that's a nice little introduction to who we are um what we're going to be doing so you ready to go you ready to jump into this bad let's boy? do it yeah 1999 right. let's let's take our time machine all right so we are in our time machine now yeah um we are back in the year 1999 we have our Limp Bizkit t-shirts on. We sure do. I feel like we need to have like a like that Wayne's World. That <laughs> you know, like. Not bad, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, we'll work that in. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get that, that in post. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so 1999. We're going to throw out some fun facts here Ooh. from 99. See if we can take people back oh, a little man. bit. I'm um, excited. How old were you in 1999, Willie? Oh, boy. I was 13 years old. You were 13? I was 13 years old. I was 15. Oh man, you yeah. old man! I know. Old man, what does that put me in? I was I'm in, I'm in high school. I you can't were a drive. freshman. I was a freshman. Thank yeah. you. Uh, was the fur pipe song out then? Uh, it would have been. Yeah, out I mean, it was point. out by then, but I don't think it was tearing it off. No, yeah. I think that might have been a few years earlier. That was tearing up the charts, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that was '97. Yeah. So, um, 15. What was I doing when I was 15? I was. Uh, I failed driver's ed. Oh, did you really? Um, quick story. Oh boy! If we could get into this real quick, um, I was driving along with my uh, driver's ed teacher, and my buddy Matt was in the back, so he could he could back me up on this story. But we were going down this back road, and this back road was really, really like skinny. Like there was no, honestly, there was no reason. I, I put this on my driver's ed teacher. There's no reason for me to be on this back road. Play a bad call. Yeah, and um, he took me around. And I took this curve, and I was like completely on the other side of the road. And a car came out of nowhere. And, like, we were about to get into, like, a head-on, like, 15-mile-per-hour crash. <laughs> it would have been fine, but my t- driver's ed teacher's car would have been screwed. Um, but he stops on the uh, the safety brake other time, and he just slams it. We all go forward. And um, we're stopped, and then we're, like, looking at the other driver. And I, like, panic, and I seize up, and my foot just slams on the gas. And he is just, he's, like, 
white knuckle basically well white foot knuckling the uh the emergency brake on his side and he's just screaming he goes damn get your foot off the goddamn gas i'm sure that calmed you down right yeah that, that was good so um he had me drive back to the high school which was weird that was a bad idea too so i ended up uh having to like take it again Wow. So that was my story for a 15-year-old. That's 15, rough. 15-year-old Tim. Because that, that just popped in my head now. That's brutal. Yeah. Never heard that story. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> now every time you ride with me, think about that. Yeah. How dangerous you are. You got any 15-year-old stories? Um. Well, I have a 13-year-old story. Oh, that's right. You're 13 at this point in our time. <laughs> Wait, are we going to 2001? Why am I, I'm, in, I'm in high school. Why am I hanging out with some lame middle school? I know, right? Yeah. yeah if you get a, your 15-year-old self would be like really upset with you right, right now. Um, I met my wife. Oh wow! When I was thirteen. Oh wow! Yeah, that's there, awesome. That, that's there's a story for you. Yeah, yeah. We worked in the. Uh, um, I couldn't take gym in middle school or high school because okay. I bleed easily. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. And so, I was an office assistant. Um, and okay. normally they only had one office assist office assistant per hour, like per class period. But because they really had no choice but to take me in, um, they put me in there and I shared the office hour with uh, with my beautiful wife, Nikki. Uh-huh. And, you know. Sparks flew. Sparks flew. No, they did not at first. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she wasn't a fan of me. Right. For, I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I kind of thought she was annoying. She probably thought I was a dork. Well, if she's listening to this, she could give you, fe- she could write into feedback. She could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She could drop us a line and let me know. Uh, she could review our first meeting. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it's pretty good though. Um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that happened to me that year. I joined choir as well. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. It's a, no wonder she thought I was a dork. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little tenor in in the choir. Choir boy. Yeah. Yeah, You know. That's sweet. Yeah, that's nice. And now I'm recording a a podcast about horror films. (laughs) Right. Yes. I've been, Oh man, what am I doing with this choir boy? I, 15, I had a leather jacket on. I was almost getting in. Car wrecks. Head on car wrecks. <laughs> car, on car wrecks. Oh my gosh. Wow. So yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Let's go back. Yep. Um US President, old Billy Clinton, he was uh, acquitted in impeachment trials uh proceedings in the United States Senate. So got off then. Got off. Um, <laughs> Slick Willie. I, yeah, I remember that trial. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sopranos debuts on HBO. That was a big one. Uh, Family Guy debuts on Fox. Oh, there you go. Two big shows uh, debuted that year. Michigan, in our beautiful state that we are broadcasting from right now, mm-hmm. uh, finds, this is kind of horror related, uh, finds Dr. Jack Kevorkian guilty of second degree murder for administering a lethal injection to a terminally ill man. Old Jack. Old Dr. Jack. Wow. He was on the news all the time. Yeah. If you lived point. in Michigan, like you were bombarded with Jack Kevorkian's face, which was a terrifying face. Yeah. He's kind of scary looking. Yeah. He's yeah. one of the, um, like when I have like scary faces in my head from when I was a kid, it's like him and that dude from the Comet, the Hale Bob Comet. Like the cult leader. Oh yeah, it was like people that like freaked me out as a child. So. And both of them, yeah, both of them, you had reason to be freaked out, right? <laughs> so, um, Bill Gates' personal fortune makes him the wealthiest individual in the world due to the increased value of Microsoft stocks. So, get it, Bill. Good job, Bill. The great one, Wayne Gretzky, retires from hockey, um, leaving behind a legacy of a lot of goals and also a great Nintendo sixty four game mm-hmm. called Wayne Gretzky's three D Hockey. Of which you could score like 15 goals yeah. a game on a regular basis. Just like Wayne. Just like Wayne, yes. <laughs> um, the 
Columbine happened this year. Oh, geez. Um, two Littleton, Colorado teenagers, Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold, open fire on their teacher and classmates, killing 12 students, one teacher, and then themselves. Um, which, weirdly enough, I mean, I remember that. I was in high school at the time. Yeah, I, and I, obviously I wasn't, but I do remember that was a big... I mean, it's so sad because nowadays... I don't want to get too deep into this, but nowadays right. it, it we, we hear about this stuff and we're very... We're, we're kind of used to it right. at this point. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every time I see it, I'm like horrified, but it's not... No, it is. It's not as shocking as it used to be. No, this was like huge, huge. And it kind of ties into our horror movie podcast because what was one of the things they blamed it on? It was horror movies. Horror was, movies. Horror Doom, movies. the video Doom, game. Doom, Manson. Marilyn Manson got a lot of slack around A lot that. of crap for it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, Woodstock 99 was held in New York, which was garbage, if I remember. Like, Literally, it was garbage. They were throwing garbage. They were throwing garbage. Yeah. They were throwing like $10 water bottles at mm. people. Um, Limp Biscuit played Woodstock. Yeah, Corn did too. Corn, like a... The opposite of a, a lot of the bands that opened the first one, because there was Woodstock like 95, 94, 95 too. Woodstock 94, I well, think That was, was like the mud pit. Because my parents went to that one. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so weird. My parents went to that one and um, and they said it was like a, like a great time. It was just really muddy. Yeah, 94, 95. Yeah, because yeah. they had a lot of older acts there too. And yeah. I'm sure they did it in 99, but. That was my first exposure to Joe Cocker. Was, oh, really? was by watching some home video they shot of Joe Cocker on stage. Nice. And I was like, who's this guy? What is this Joker doing? But yeah. Nice. Yeah, 99 I remember just being re- like everybody was really angry. It was a bummer. Yeah. Then, which is weird because 99, like when you look at it, it wasn't that angry of a time. Like why were we so angry then? You know, I there, I do remember somebody, and I don't remember who it was. It could have been one of my parents actually. Mentioning that it, historically they've they've noticed a trend in in when we are in times of peace, music right. and stuff tends to be angrier, right? And then the the uh, the opposite, you know. When well, that it is interesting, and I think well, we won't we won't get too much into certain things, but like the economy was doing pretty well at this point. I think so. Yeah, yeah. it was about to burst in a couple of years here, but in '99 it was blowing up, yeah. and um, I think that's that's another thing to play. I think people get bored very easily when things get comfortable yeah and then they're like let's crank up the limp biscuit mm-hmm. and rage give yeah. me give me something to break yeah. um sega dreamcast is released did oh you boy. have a sega dreamcast i did uh-huh. but i didn't get it when it was new thank goodness i bought it after it was defunct okay so a cup like a year later <laughs> um because <laughs> you could get them for like bargain level prices and i right. was like well there's like three or four games that are worth playing on this right so um yeah i had a dreamcast i did not I was jealous of people who did though because in the wrestling games you could only have four people. Mm. This was you could in the ring at one time and Dreamcast you get like six. Wow. Yeah, it was really That's awesome. That's a big deal. Um JFK Jr., this is the year he uh crashed his plane oh, off yeah. of Martha's Vineyard. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the big ones, especially when it comes to entertainment and media, um, is Napster. Uh-huh. The music downloading service, kind of the file share service, uh, debuted this year. Really? Do you remember Napster? I do. Okay. Um, I don't remember using Napster much. Right. I'll be honest there. I, I think that my dad was in the music industry, and so he almost immediately oh, rejected yeah. it. Um, he was pretty upset about it, actually. Um, I I, th- I believe he was a fan of Lars. Lars Ulrich. Lars Ulrich, yeah. Thanks to the stand yeah, Lars is not a heavy camper. No, not a good year for Lars. Um, <laughs> or Metallica fans. No. Um, but... 
Yeah, he rejected it pretty heavily, and we didn't have a great computer at that point anyway, I don't think. Like, it okay. would have taken me, like, two hours to download a song, so, like, what's the point? Right. Um, I got into it afterwards when, like, LimeWire was the big one. Yeah, LimeWire, BearShare. BearShare. Kazaa. Yeah. Kazaa, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, kind of the rip-offs, the Napster rip-offs. Yeah. But I remember Napster, and I remember mm-hmm. it was like, what? You can do this? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. No one can stop you. Uh, the thing I remember most about Napster is, like... Half the time, like the song you downloaded or attempted to download was something that was not. Yeah, it was mismarked and stuff. Yeah, it was mismarked or it sounded like absolute garbage. Yeah, like somebody recorded off of like a little cassette off the radio. Yeah, they threw it in a tin can and then put it on there. Um, So I remember that and I remember Napster was the one with like the red, green, and yellow. That was LimeWire, I think. What was that, LimeWire? I think so. Verbal? It was purple? Purple. Okay. Oh, it was purple. Okay. I remember the little cat face with the headphones. That was the logo, right? It was a little cat with a little... With I think so. Like I that. think so. A little fox. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember that. And, um, but yeah, I remember you could... But this was, this was huge because you could just... You could... Mostly music. The, I, there was ways to get... Um, a lot of X-Men porn, if I recall. Like a lot of like... Fanfic. Pornography of like X-Men characters. Yeah, really going right. Really going at it. Um, <laughs> just going to town. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a big, a lot of anime. So, mm-hmm. um, but one of the big things I think, and like the legacy, obviously of Napster is we live in a time where physical media is still around, mm-hmm. but we are of a generation that grew up with Napster and kind of file sharing, and um, unfortunately, maybe fortunately. For some people, I think um, maybe not some people in the actual industry. It's definitely unfortunate, but um, we have a generation that kind of thinks they should get things for free. Sometimes. Yeah, um, especially when it comes to art yeah. or um, kind of music, movies, and stuff. And I think kind of the legacy of it is it in a way it placed everybody this, and then the kind of '90s independent film movement. And a lot of the time back to movies kind of placed everybody on the same level in a weird sort of way. Oh, for sure. Um, and it kind of led to, I mean, you go out there now and you see a ton of stuff on YouTube of amateur filmmakers. I think it's great in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. Um, but I do think that um, I'll take a stand and I think some people should get paid money. I would agree. For stuff they create. <laughs> I would agree. want to buy. Yeah. So, um, but in a weird way, yeah, I think it kind of leveled the playing field in a lot of ways. And I don't know if... And a lot of, if a lot of media companies have ever fully recovered for it from it and are still dealing with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so leading into that, I think we should talk about a movie about amateur filmmakers. Yeah. Um, and that would be the Blair Witch Project. Good old Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yep. Um, let me do a quick summary. Sure, for you go for quick. it. Let's do it. Um, quick summary of the Blair Witch Project. In 1994, three film students disappeared in the Maryland woods. The footage found later shows the trio on their hike into becoming lost in the woods and unable to explain the strange occurrences that may have something to do with the Blair Witch, a local urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie would become one of the highest grossing independent horror movies ever produced, spawned two sequels, one great one fantastic and one I have not seen because it just came out. That was a joke about Blair Witch too, which nice, yeah, which I love. Yeah. And would kicks kind of kickstart the found footage genre in the following years. I think in it's a weird outlier in that way. 
um, where it it was obviously an influence, but I don't think the found footage kind of came in until a few years later down the road. No, no, no. The, yeah. I think I think paranormal activity is to thank for the the recent, you know, the recent boom. Right, for sure. Willie, get us started. Talk about Blair Witch. Well, you know, what I think is interesting about Blair Witch is it's another in in kind of a long line of movies of independent films that did show, you know, you can do it too. You know, um, I think that in terms of horror, that really started with Evil Dead, with the first Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you could see how the film was made. You could see you and your friends going out and making something like this. And with Blair Witch, that's very apparent. I mean, it's really just some kids in the woods with a camera. Um, it's I think it's groundbreaking in terms of the, the sheer filmmaking behind it and the decisions behind the scenes because... You, they basically just said, here's some cameras, you're going to go out in the woods, and here are the big beats that you need to hit. But other than that, you're going to riff while you're out there. Right. Um, and they found real people that lived in the area and told them, here, we're filming this about a legend. Tell us about the legend. And these people are more than apt to just start making things up. Right. Like, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me that they were able to make this movie the way they were and that it turned, they made something cohesive that actually like works as a film as like a, what 80 some minute film. Yep. Um, but what I really find interesting about Blair, Witch is uh, kind of in turn along lines of the Napster and Napster kind of movement and, and just the internet in general becoming bigger and, and us discovering new avenues with which to take the World Wide web. Um, I think the social, or I'm sorry, not the social media, but the, um, the viral marketing on this movie mm-hmm. is really groundbreaking stuff. And it was something we would see become a trend over the course of the next, you know, decade or so. Um, people thought this was real. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I remember in high school, people... they thought this was real. <laughs> it was a lot of, a lot of the times it was people that maybe weren't familiar with horror movies. Sure. That were, but that's, uh, that's a pretty big, uh, chunk of the population mm-hmm. so um, because there had been stuff with like found footage before in horror movies i mean cannibal holocaust that would probably be the kind most of the one notable pops yeah. into my head and there are probably others out there too that i'm just blanking on but um but i had not seen cannibal holocaust by the time i was 15 i didn't even know what cannibal holocaust was and and i think part of that is we discovered a lot of that stuff because of the internet yeah and that stuff i think people knew of it um but i there was no way to talk about it Right. There was no way to spread the word on a movie like Cannibal Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, so for most people, I feel like this was the first found footage film. This was the first, we found these videotapes lost in the wilderness, yep. and look what we discovered. You know, look what, what happened to these kids. And they really, from what I understand, kept a pretty tight lock and key on the cast to keep them from doing interviews and things like that. And uh, I mean, just it, it really is genius, um, I think. <laughs> no, I think so too. I mean, what a great! I mean, what a great example of uh, using your resources, absolutely, and just using creativity and just hucksterism in a way, sure, uh, in a good way. I don't mean that because that's horror movies have always been like that. Absolutely. So, um, no, I, I, I just, I really admire it for that, and I, it held up a lot better than I thought it did. Uh, I me. agree. It's not. I remember watching this the first time, and I didn't see it in theater. Um, I saw it on video. Uh, but I remember hearing people talk about it after they had seen it in the theater. And I had an uncle who was in college um, at the time. And I remember they did a lot of um, they did a lot of on campus advertisement too for this. Like they would put up a lot of the missing posters. And, so smart. Um, and he would he he's kind of the one that was like, yeah, like you should see this. Um, 
Did he believe it was real? No, I don't think he so. He kind of figured that but out he, by that point. It was this weird, it was almost like this weird, like, uh, kind of like pro wrestling type deal where, like, he, he didn't think it was real. But, like, you never, like, when you're a kid, you're always like, are they, you might think it's kind of, you might mm-hmm. think it is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I think at that point he didn't. But he was kind of selling it to me as that. Um, yeah, so I, when I saw it, I, um, I was freaked out by it when I was 15 years old. Um, particularly that last, because I had not seen a lot of found footage horror, because um, there was not a lot. Um, I, yeah, never heard of Cannibal Holocaust at the time. What a great, what a smart move by the makers of this movie to pull from that movie, which mm-hmm. people hadn't seen at this point for the most part. Um, and yeah, I remember the ending terrified me. Yeah, that, the, really that entire last um, sequence, the kind of chase through the house when they're trying right. to find their friend Josh, um, leading up to obviously the, the the shot in the basement of of Mike in the corner, right? Um, which which ties back into a story you hear earlier earlier from one of the locals, um, you know, yeah. about the kids being forced to look away. Oh, the from, locals are so great. They're great. Yeah. yeah, and then that's that's one of the amazing things about about this is there's so much authenticity to this movie because they did just find people on the street and they were like, we're making a documentary about the Blair Witch. Do you know anything about that? And I think in a lot of cases the opportunity to just be on camera for something was enough mm-hmm. for them to be like, yeah, oh yeah, I know about the Blair. You know, like they just, they're like fed into it and I think that's fun. Right. Um, the other thing is there was a website for this, for this movie and a website about the, the true story of the missing kids and stuff like that. Like it, was, it felt like a true crime, like uh, America's Most Wanted type website, you know? And, and I, like that, that to me, like you said, is using your resources. Mm-hmm. This is a time when you could, in, in 99, when you could build your own GeoCities website. Oh, I had a GeoCity. Oh, so did I. What was yours about? Uh, it was like a picture of um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. That's pretty much it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I made a Taz fan site, fan website <laughs> for professional wrestler Taz. I'm glad we both were doing professional wrestler. <laughs> um, anyway, so, but you could do that. You had the ability to do that. And here are here are some guys that said, you know, we don't need a ton of financial backing to do this. We can do that. You know, let's try. And, and, and it became a phenomenon, a yes. legitimate phenomenon. Um, like you said, it spawned a couple sequels, one of which just came out this year. Um, what, a couple months ago? Yeah. Um, it spawned video games. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's the American dream, is it not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they were just college kids at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I think it, it held up better than I thought. Maybe not on a scary like like this is creeping me out level. I mean, there it's still kind of creepy to me, mm-hmm. but um, it held up better for me than I thought. Just kind of looking at it um, in the context of its time, um, because yeah, it came at the it came at the end of the '90s, uh, and it came kind of on the kind of the precipice of leading into really the age we're in now, which is kind of the social media internet mm-hmm. age. And I think it's interesting that these kids are all in their twenties yeah. at the time they take place. And I know a lot of people find these characters very abrasive at times and annoying and they can be cuz they're all they're all very self-righteous in their own ways and mm-hmm. they're all very convinced that um what they know the way. I'm thinking particularly of the map yeah, scenes. Yeah, and I, I when it comes to the map I do want to mention the one time and I think I'm certainly not the only person to to feel right. this way. The one time where I I lose some of the believability of the scenario in this movie is when the map is thrown in the river. Right. That's the one time where I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. No one's doing that. Yeah. But 
I don't know. I mean, I've, I've met a lot of hotheads too that right. might do something like that in that situation. So I don't know. That's the one time where I was like, oh, maybe I bridged too far. Right. But other than that, no, I, I, I yeah, I, I was really impressed with, does the movie look dated? Well, yeah, they're using dated technology to make a movie. They're using handheld cameras that are, that are like extinct by this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, of course it looks dated, but if anything, I think there will come a time when we might be able to like show younger kids this movie on like a VHS tape and say that, you know, they found this in the woods and they might believe it again. Right. Like the legend could be that. <laughs> I, I swear it could happen. Yeah. Um, it probably won't with the internet being what it is and what it, God only knows what it will be by that point. But right. I don't know. I feel like if you, you could, if you had a kid that was young enough and really this is a very bloodless, gore, it's just scary. Um, if you found a kid that was young enough, you could play this movie for him today and be like, this, this is, they found this in the woods and yeah. the kid, like you could watch them just be like, Oh my God, like, yep. this is real life. Yeah. I, I, I will probably do it to my child, which doesn't exist at this point, but will at some point I'll probably yeah. just do it. Yeah. I'll probably just terrify my kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's a bad idea. And I think it's good that you put that out in public. Yeah. Early. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to scare my kid every once in a while. <laughs> And make sure that they know not to run around in the woods and throw maps in a room. Right, yeah. I was like, my, my dad, going back to the story at the beginning, he loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it was fun for him. It's, so. Sometimes it's fun. Yeah. You know, live a little. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, going back to the uh, kind of going leading into the social media age, in a weird way, this is kind of just a perfect mix of their 90s kids in this movie. And by 90s kids, they're very, um, they're not quite to the point of pop culture literacy that we've become today. Um, but they are very pop culture literate. And that's what we, there's a, there's a scene in it. Um, the Gilligan's Island scene where they're talking about Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's kind of a touchstone for a lot of Gen X kids, uh, latchkey kids, um, yeah. really yep. <laughs> kind of growing up with the TV. Sure. With the reruns on. Um, uh, so that was good. And it, and then it kind of leads into, like you were saying, the, the kind of viral marketing, the social media aspect of it too. Because when they talk about the characters being abrasive and kind of self-righteous, I mean, that's kind of the internet right now. Oh, totally. <laughs> especially especially in the year we're in now, um, an election year. And mm-hmm. especially when you're in your 20s, because um, you are always convinced. Absolutely. That you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. I know I was. So um, I... Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, there's also this idea, and I think it plays into the uh, kind of the found footage aspect of it. Um, and she even says it at a couple times towards the end in her apology speech. I, I've, I think her apology speech works as kind of like a uh, an apology for the selfishness of yourself in your twenties. Like she's like she's yes. looking into the camera, talking to these people's parents, and like I got these people killed <laughs> because I was convinced I was so right. Like I made them listen to me and I was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there, there's also this idea um, when it came with social media of this idea that you can pretty much go online and create your own reality in a lot of ways. And you can just kind of ch- pick and choose what's real and what's not. And social media kind of filters the way um, you might see a lot of pictures of happy people online that might not be that happy. Oh, absolutely. And that camera is kind of, she uses it as kind of a safeguard in a lot of ways. And she is, she's kind of convinced with finding like what she calls like the ultimate truth mm-hmm. in the movie. And, um, I think it's interesting that 
they think they're so special that they are the ones that are going to come back with like definitive proof of Mm -hmm. this thing. And it, 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 it ends up killing them in the end. And it's kind of this weird way of, uh, they're only 22 in this movie, but I think we age slower nowadays. (laughs) So, so it's kind of this weird, weird metaphor for like, Hey, you're going into your thirties. Now it's time to start accepting your own mortality here a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I also kind of think it works in a lot of ways in a um, sacrificing yourself for your art kind of way. Sure. Um, I think we are out of that kind of 90s independent boom a little bit. Um, We're dealing with some pretty, a lot of the independent filmmakers around this time are getting bigger budget stuff too. Um, We've got The Matrix coming out, um, 99, being John Malkovich too. So there is this idea going along that okay you're an amateur filmmaker you can go make this movie make your little documentary in the woods but guess what like you're probably gonna be broke at the end of this thing you're probably like you're gonna have to make a lot of sacrifices if you want to continue on in this profession and that that kind of is how the whole movie played for me as well especially when you come from the perspective of yeah these all people were all amateurs at the time and um i think that's kind of a interesting way i looked at it during this too yeah, if you want to go out and film a movie with your friends in the woods, you might wind up looking a lot like she does in that scene where she's crying and snotting into the camera. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that might be you. Um, right. One thing I do want to say, too, before you know, um, before we move on from Blair Witch, is I find, I find this to be an interesting kind of almost sister film or companion piece to Clerks. In That's a lot of ways, mm-hmm. this is the horror movie version of Clerks. <laughs> this, is, this is a bunch of people that have no, like, very few... Um, certainly financial resources, but have a lot of talent around them and know how to find the right people that either they go to school with or they work with or, you know, just the right people in their lives to come together and make something very low budget, very unique, and um, different enough from what is popular at the time to make an impact. Right. So I, I think this is an, those two are kind of an interesting. And Clerks came out in uh, ninety eight. Was that once again? I'm bad uh, Clerks years. was not, the Clerks was like ninety five. Okay, so it was a few years before. Yeah. I, but um. But yeah. No, I, I think that there's an interesting uh, parallel between those two. So, right. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Um. Eduardo Sanchez, who directed this, would go on to he's he's still got a career going mm-hmm. um I've, I've seen a couple of his things he did lovely molly i don't know if you've seen that i've seen the the dvd cover but i have not seen the movie okay it's 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 good okay. um i liked it um he also did a segment for one of the vhs vhs2 he did okay. a ride it's called the ride in the park it's kind of a found footage hmm. segment of someone uh someone who was attacked by some sort of creature on a bike sweet yeah it's, i think it might be a zombie and it's kind of like a found like they have a gopro or something attached to their head That's fun. it's kind of a fun segment um so he, he's gone in to have a career he did some work on a show right the river was it oh no those were the uh or, or was that the those were the paranormal guys. Activity okay, guys. okay. yeah yep i remember uh, i was like was that was it the river i think it's it called sounds, the river that yeah. sounds right yeah. so um i do i know one of the actors from this movie went on to have i always liked the girl heather donahue heather donahue yeah yeah i heard that uh her the josh character and like her in real life did not get along at all yeah it yeah. almost comes across at times in this movie i like i like that nice. it adds it adds a layer mm-hmm. uh, just some random notes uh, that i took during it you can tell it's really low budget because 
Well, I like the idea. It's kind of got the Jaws idea of hide the monster. And that always that always works better because we should uh, we should mention that one Mr. Todd McFarlane creator I knew you were going to mention Spawn, this. I'm so happy. Uh, creator of Spawn, he they really tell the story. So here's the story as I understand it. And 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 Mr. McFarlane, if you're listening and I'm incorrect, please by all means let me know. Um, Todd McFarlane had a series of action figures that were really really big, uh, not too far out from this movie came out, right. uh, early 2000s, called Movie Maniacs. And in a lot of cases, this is the first time that horror fans could buy detailed action figures of horror icons. Jason, Freddy, uh, Leatherface, all those guys. Well, at one point um, in the series of toys, Todd got around to making a a Blair Witch action figure for his Movie Maniacs line. And there is no Blair Witch in this movie. There's There's no visual of the Blair Witch. You don't see what it looks like. You really don't even know that it exists. In fact, in this movie, you could honestly read it as, maybe their friend Josh goes nuts. And he and I always read it as this: that their friend Josh goes nuts, and he's the one running around in the woods that's like offing them. Um, I always kind of like to read it that way, but I don't know if it works. Whatever. Anyway, so Todd made uh, Todd made the action figure that he was commissioned to make based on some sort of design that was provided to him. Todd didn't like that design, so he goes, "I'm I'm screw that. I'm going to make a second action figure that's my Blair Witch as I see it." Yeah. So there are now two Blair Witch action figures, neither of which is based on anything that actually appeared on screen. <laughs> One of which was designed by somebody that worked for, on the movie, and the other one designed by Todd himself. Yeah, and they're very different. Oh, they're they're amazing. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're both pretty cool. Todd's is more of a um, uh, it's made of wood. It's kind of tree like, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of well. I was gonna say it kind of looks like something that would show up on like Evil Dead. Sure. Uh, but it kind of looks like it's something that would show up on a Todd McFarlane comic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. it looks like it would show up in Spawn. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it right now. They're so stupid. <laughs> they're so stupid. <laughs> they're so good, you know. Oh, they're uh, stupid in a good way. Yes. Uh, so I, the hiding the monster thing works really well, apparently, for this movie. Because if this this was the monster at the end of the movie, I would go, what? Yeah, and oftentimes with these found footage movies, they do tend to hide the monster. Mm-hmm. Or you see little like brief glimpses of it and then during the grand finale when they feel like they have to show you know show their hand you usually want to be underwhelmed so in this case um the lack of a budget i think really helped them me too Um, it's a much scarier film because you don't know what's going on Uh, and your mind plays tricks on you i remember watching this with my mom on vhs when it first came out and we were terrified and I remember her going, "Oh, rewind it, rewind it. You can see it. In, you see it in the woods. It, there's nothing there." No, that wasn't. A, thank you for bringing. You just refreshed my memory. I got a lot of that in high school. Yeah. Like people would go around saying, "Like you, you can see it right here. Like you, this is where you can see the right. Blair Witch." And yeah, it's out of there. Yeah. There's a really good. I want to mention Mary Brown real quick. She's the uh, kind of crazy lady. Oh, she's so good. Mary Brown is amazing. She's so good. And uh, I just want to, um, if you type in Mary Brown. Blair Witch, there is an Angel Fire website. There's a blast from the past, much like GeoCities, that has an entire um, explanation. I'm not going to read it off here, but I'm going to totally read it after, that just um, posits the theory that she did this, that she's the Blair Witch. I kind of dig that. She's behind the entire thing. She really is. She's just got, when she comes on screen, she's got that face, and you're just like, oh Oh, my God, you were so cool. (laughs) Like, Where do you come from? Yeah, I want to take a road trip and see if she's still around there. I hope she's doing good. I really do. I hope that she she was able to find a little uh, find a little success after this. Yeah, yeah. There is a uh, nice little trope here, a nice little character uh, that we see a lot. That is a you kids will never learn. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. You gotta have that. And uh, I also you can also tell it's low budget because there's an entire sequence, a scare sequence built around like rocks. 
just kind of moving from place to place <laughs> and like freak out. Yeah. So that maybe that didn't hold up as well as I thought. Yeah, yeah. But it still true. made me laugh. Those stick figures, though. Those stick figures, though, yeah. Still really creepy. Really creepy. Um, one of the trailers for the new Blair Witch film, I remember the there's a shot of them seeing a bunch of the stick figures again. I was like, yeah, okay, that still works. Iconic, too, in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Oftentimes, I think if you were to ask somebody, uh, what do you remember most about the Blair Witch, it would probably be either A, the ending, or B, the, the stick figures. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. Cool. Blair Witch? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we watched it again. Me I'm too. glad I, I, I was able to revisit it. It's been Me a too. while. So. Me too. Yep. Yeah, cool. A lot of fun. Cool. All right, Willie. The 2000 MTV Video Music Movie Awards. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I was getting really nervous when you said Music Awards. Music I'm like, Awards? Yeah. We're in, I'm in real trouble. Yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> really throwing you down. I was going to say Limp Bizkit for everything. Yeah. I think if you want a snapshot of uh, movies and pop culture at the time, you go with the MTV Awards. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was actually popular. You with know. like human beings. Yes. Yeah. People that don't live to write reviews on movies. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um... I'm going to give you a quiz on the 2000 MTV. And by quiz, I mean I'm just going to read the Wikipedia page and ask you questions. Okay. I'm, um, I'm ready. Because, and the reason I picked 2000, just so you know, is because these are the movies that were released in 1999. This covers that year. Sure. So I don't want to, I don't want to do 99 because we're going to be talking about 98. It's all very confusing, but I want you to. <laughs> Much like us, the uh, the fine folks over at MTV uh, Music Television like to travel back in time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Do you know who hosted this? Do you have any idea? Oh, 2000. Boy. It's year 2000. I'll give you a hint. It's a female. Okay. I'll give you another hint. She had a TV show on at the time. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, You know, I could see like like a Jessica Simpson hosting the... Oh, I think you're a little early. Am I a little early on early that? Early on that. Um, this is in a... Uh, she's on an HBO show. Hmm. Julia Weiss Dreyfus. She was on an HBO show oh, she at was. the time. Yeah. Oh man. Yikes. I never had HBO. This is going to be tough. Um. Hmm. She was on an HBO show that they would release a movie out of a movie version of the HBO show. What? Um. There was a character on it that shared a name <laughs> with the person who sang "To Be With You." I'm the one who. Is that Mr. Mister? Is that oh, was that Mr. Big, right? Mr. Big? Was it Mr. Big? Was it oh, Big? oh, was it hosted by um, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker? Yes. That's so weird. I wanted you to say Kim Cattrall. So <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sarah Jessica Parker hosted this. Because I remember the uh, the gimmick was that like she kept doing wardrobe changes because she was on Sex and the City. Oh, that's and, funny. And, okay. And, yeah. Did she drink like Cosmos and stuff while she was on Probably. stage? Probably. Cool. Yeah, I don't remember much of the skits. Um, I just kind of remember that. I watched this. You didn't watch the whole award show just to get ready for this? No, not at all. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you some of these, uh, categories because I like the movie awards categories. They're They're not real stuffy. Um, they're fun. Um, best kiss. Here are your nominees. All right. Drew Barrymore and Michael Vartan from Never Been Kissed. Oh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair from Cruel Intentions. Okay. Katie Holmes and Barry Watson from Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Oh, boy. Hillary Slank and Chloe Zavegni from Boys Don't Cry. Who can forget that? What a weird, like, I don't know. Like, to me, that seems very wrong to make that, like, right? give that a crappy, like, 
Yeah, that was like a serious movie. Uh, yes. It dealt with a lot of heavy subject Not matter. Not everybody makes it out of that movie. The only thing they, I think, nominated it for was Best Kiss. That's so bad. <laughs> um, big on the uh, on the uh, the girl-on-girl kissing in, in 1999. Yeah, 99, we're getting into, I think, a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, yes. 99, the 90s are raunchy. Yeah. The flat-out raunchy. That's true. So... Um, it's got to be, it be Sarah Michelle and, and Selma Blair. Right? Yeah. yeah. That was a good one. That was good. You, remember, that was the movie's main selling point. It was. It was like, hey, check out Buffy and the girl from Little Giants. They're yeah. They're going to make out. They're going to make out in this movie. <laughs> I've seen it. And the movie's all right. The movie's kind of fun. I like the movie. Yeah, they're doing a show soon. Oh, are they? Yes. That'll be, that would work on like and CW. And Sarah Michelle is going to be on the show. Oh. I did read that. It's kind of fun. I'll probably, I'll probably. You're gonna tune in. Yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah. Uh, best action action sequence. We've got the rooftop helicopter scene from the Matrix, the sand monster scene from the Mummy, the pod race from Episode One, or the end sequence from the Blair Witch Project. Who can forget that, that action action romp? romp yeah, <laughs> I gotta go Matrix on this one. No. Okay, then it's probably gonna be. Um, Man, not what was the other one? Not the Mummy, but uh, Episode One. Yeah, Pod Episode race. One. Pod yeah, race. Pod race. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think it should. I think it should be the Matrix too. But, yeah, I think right. that one holds up better. Uh, best musical sequence. We've got Terrence and Philip Uncle Fucka from the South Park movie. Ah. Heath Ledger can't take my eyes off you from Ten Things I Hate About You. A delightful movie. Oh, wonderful. And a delightful scene. Mike Myers and Vern Troyer, just the two of us from Austin Powers Part Two. <laughs> Matt David, Jude Law, and. Er- Rosario Furiello from, and the song is, it's a French song, from the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> uh, it's Tuvio Fala Americano. I think this is proof that you don't need to have four just because some other awards have four <laughs> nominees. Like, they don't need to be four nominees. Um, man, you know, I'm going to go just the two of us, Vern Troyer and Mike Myers. That is wrong. It's <laughs> Terrence and Phillip. Oh, okay, South good, Park. good. Yep. That, that should be the winner. Uh, we'll do a couple more here. Austin Powers was hot, though, so, I mean, that, that, that was Especially big. on MTV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a big deal on MTV. It's a huge deal. Fern Troyer was huge at this time. Yeah. Fern Troyer was all over He's blown the up. Yeah. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he was hanging out with Kid Rock a lot. Yeah. So it, he's probably at this movie awards with Kid Rock. Probably hanging out with him. Yeah. Uh, best fight, Keanu versus Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix, Mike Myers versus Vern Troyer and Austin Powers. Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor versus Ray Park in episode one. Or Edward, this is funny because you can tell we've, we're we not as spoiler phobic as we used to be in these, because uh, it's Edward Norton versus himself in Fight Club. <laughs> so they just flat out spoiled the ending of Fight Club. All right. Um, oh boy. I think it's probably the episode one fight scene, right? It was not. Was it Fishburne and Keanu? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not doing good. No, we, I'm gonna I'm gonna find one for you. You're gonna get one. Okay. Because I'm, I'm. Well, I did get best kiss though. Oh yeah. Which really, what else matters? Oh, we did have another nomination for boys don't cry. By the way, Hillary Swank nominated for best breakthrough female. So, okay. Good for her. Um, best villain. We have to do this one. Yes. Um, Ray Park, in episode one, Mike Myers, in Austin Powers as Doctor Evil. Matt Damon in The Talented Mr. Ripley, Sarah Michelle Gellar in Cruel Intestines, or Christopher Walken from Sleepy Hollow. Oh, boy. Yeah. How much I wish it was Christopher Walken Me too. from Sleepy Hollow. I'm thinking it's probably... Mm, boy. 
This is tough. This is a tough one. What was the first one again? It was um, Mike Myers, Matt Damon, Talented Miss Ridley, Sarah Michelle Geller, Ray Park, Christopher Walken. <sighs> Sarah Michelle Geller. Nope, Mike Myers. Mike Dr. Myers, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ray Park around. was my second choice. Um, all right, we'll do one more. We'll just go straight to best movie. Oh, can you? Oh, can you name? No, you can't name those performers here. I want, there were some performances here. Uh, D'Angelo uh, saying "Devil's Pie." Do not know that song. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a D'Angelo song. In sync, saying "It's gonna be me." Ooh. I do know that song. And then Metallica saying "I disappear." Which is from mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 2. I was going to ask you a question. I'm like, do you right. know what movie that was from? Yeah. It was from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Yeah, I don't really like that movie, but well, I remember a, the song. Yeah, I don't really like that song either. No? it's a, it's a That's a uh, era of Metallica. That no. it's, it's, it's not what we would call a forgotten gem. No. <laughs> All right, best movie. Here we go. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. American Pie, which has not been nominated for much else. Mm. Um, American Beauty. The Matrix or The Sixth Sense? Oh, man. Sixth Sense? Best movie? No. Nope. Matrix. Matrix. Yeah. But we are going to talk about The Sixth Sense. What? Yeah. Because right. it was a phenomenon. It it really was. Much like... 99 was a big year for movies. In general, it was a big year yeah. for movies. Yeah, there's some good stuff on that, actually. Yeah. I mean, really groundbreaking yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, they give the... Um, like uh, best director, like breakthrough director, to Spike Jones that year, for oh, wow. which is cool because he came kind of came up on MTV. He so did. There's a lot of groundbreaking stuff. I'm not necessarily sure if Sixth Sense belongs in the groundbreaking category, but at the time it was something different. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that real quick. Quick summary of the Sixth Sense. After receiving an award from the city of Philadelphia for outstanding service, psychologist Malcolm Crow is shot in his home by an old client, Donnie Wahlberg. Following the shooting. Was it Donnie Wahlberg in the channel? It was Donnie yeah, Wahlberg. Okay. Uh, following the shooting, Crow is estranged from his wife and becomes deeply involved in a case with a young boy who can see dead people. This movie became a phenomenon, finishing only behind The Phantom Menace at the box office for the year. That's really so, impressive. Yeah, it really is. Um, Willie, get us started on The Sixth Sense. Well, okay. So here's what's, here's what's interesting watching The Sixth Sense again. I had seen it once. Me too. When it first came out. Me too. And I, going into it, I was really wondering, will this movie still hold up? And I didn't think about it in terms of, will this feel dated? I don't remember it having felt overly 99 to me. I was concerned about watching it knowing the twist going into it. Um, because that, oftentimes with a movie that, that's the defining moment is the twist, when you go back and watch it again, it loses some of that luster. Um, I will say that it's a different movie than I remember it being, which is not what I expected. Mm-hmm. It's not as heavy on the horror. It's not as scary as I remember it being when I first saw it, which is okay. That's that's okay. It's really more of a drama, which but but it's got that supernatural, you know, uh, kind of cloud hanging over it the whole time. And I think that's why people latched onto it and that's why it did so well is because it was this really well-disguised horror movie. Um, They did a good job of uh, kind of, I mean, it's a horror film, but they did a good job of of 
not presenting it in a traditional horror movie haunted house kind of ghost story. Um, it's very much a very much a drama. Um, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit watching it again. And I always worry too, looking back on, on Shyamalan's career, and I obviously things have, I think most people would agree, taken a turn, <laughs> um, and not for the positive. But the guy, the guy, really, I mean, when you look at this movie and you think about the fact that this is his first major feature, it's impressive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me long for a time when Bruce Willis <laughs> uh, tried. Yeah, <laughs> every once in a while these days. Every, he'll get with a director like Wes Anderson or somebody who can like, hey, Bruce, like give me something here. Who won't be bullied. Like, yeah, right. Like make an effort. And I think he had that with uh, M. Night mm-hmm. um, for a couple movies there. Yeah. Because I think he's good in this. And I think he's good in Unbreakable too. Yes. Which is a movie I technically would say up front I do prefer over this movie. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched that in a while either. But um, but no, the sixth sense. Yeah, what what I think is amazing about the sixth sense, and why I think the sixth sense is so important in the horror genre, in the history of the horror genre, is I think it reinvigorated two things. One, I think it reinvigorated the ghost story, and I think much like Blair Witch, kind of being ahead of its time in jumpstarting a trend for the genre with the found footage. This, I think, was a little ahead of, ahead of its time in jump-starting a trend for the genre that we're seeing now in the supernatural upkick in these movies, the ghost stories. Um, did this immediately inspire a lot of ghost, like ghosty, you know, haunting movies to pop out? No, there were a couple the same year that came out, but I don't think this necessarily led to a trend of it. Um, it did, however, I think, shape that, reshape that subgenre into what it is today. And the other aspect I find... Uh, important about the sixth sense is the twist is the and i think there's a couple other movies that came out in 99 that that go alongside sixth sense i think uh, fight club would be one of them right um where the twist in a movie became like a big deal again like that became the draw to go see a movie in the theater so you didn't get it ruined for you you know what i mean that was that became a thing again you know it, it it turned the movie into an event because you had to go see it to see the twist you know because I, I remember people talking about it and going oh man you know, you're not going to see this one coming. You know, it's it's a big, mm-hmm. and then I didn't. I I remember being flabbergasted in the theater. Like I didn't know the twist. I saw this on DVD, and people were kind enough not to spoil it for me. And that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's harder now, I think, to DVD, VHS, one of the two, probably VHS, probably VHS. Yeah, but um, this I think was like I said, one of the couple movies that really started to, to the upturn in the big twist endings in movies. Mm-hmm. And I think Shyamalan loves himself a twist ending. We, we know that. For better, for worse. Sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it doesn't work out. but <laughs> um, So I think for, for those reasons, The Sixth Sense really, I think, belongs in kind of a pantheon of, of the touchstone horror films, uh, certainly of the 90s, if not of all time, really. Um, like I said, it's not that scary, really. I didn't, I didn't find myself being all that scared. Unnerved occasionally. Um, I found myself feeling really just feeling emotionally invested in, in the, the kind of the plight of this, this kid, this little boy. Right. You know, and I wonder, I wonder, you know, what's interesting is I'm older now, but I found myself latching onto that character more. And I think that might just be because, um, maybe I've got like parental instincts kicking in or something. Maybe I've hit 30 and I'm starting to like, you know, think babies and kids and stuff like that. And I'm starting to go, oh man, like somebody help this kid like he's struggling here mm-hmm. i really found myself feeling for him and i think his story is so uh it's, it's compelling stuff i 
I feel for him, you know. Yeah. I just I want him to be okay. And, right. And uh, stuff with his mom works really well too. Really well. Yeah. It feels like a real genuine relationship between. I think one of the biggest strengths and what helps this movie a lot too, and I just want to piggyback on what mm-hmm. you're saying is the uh, the actors are all fantastic in this movie. Tony Collette, Bruce Willis are good, and Haley Joel Osment's really good in this movie, and I think they help this movie a lot. 110. Yeah. percent I don't think this movie's, and I'm not knocking it, but I don't think it's that strong on a script level. I don't think it's that. I think I think the beats there's there are strong beats along the way, mm-hmm. but I, I, it's a very simple story. There it's are, not. Yeah, I I agree because there are bits and pieces that kind of feel feel like first time writer. Yeah. Because uh, I mean he there are a couple scenes in particular, and I wish I could remember them right now off the top of my head, but where I felt like oh my god he is really hammering this metaphor home. <laughs> so it felt like a little like, but that's not always a knack. For no, me. it's not. Sometimes uh, it's nice to see. The People evolution trying. of a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think if you do watch Shyamalan's first four or five movies, you see a director evolving and a writer evolving. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a natural... His movies feel like a natural... Up until a certain point, feel like a natural progression of a director. Uh, growing and learning and, and uh, getting better at his craft and, and um, approaching things with the experience of the previous film. Right. Um, and he doesn't have all that experience in this movie. And I think that's kind of nice, actually. It's I do, too. Fun. Um, I will say I, I think you're totally on point with the performance aspect because once again, I think you're watching a group of actors that were probably told out of the gate when they were, um, I'm sure Bruce Willis, this was pitched to Bruce Willis. I don't think Bruce Willis auditioned for, I, I, I would assume they approached him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, there was probably a conversation had maybe between M. Night and, and Bruce, um, about, look, we're not making a horror movie here. We're making a, a drama that's about a boy's struggle with this supernatural ability. We're making something a, lot, a little more akin to like The Shining, um, where it's where it really it, it's, a, it's a very... Um, it's handled with a sense of, of class and... Uh, and I'm not trying to knock... I, believe me, we'll get into it. I love my schlocky horror. Right. But it's handled with a sense of class and artistry, I think, that somehow manages to elevate it to where the critics and those that would normally kind of stick their nose up at a movie like this are like, oh, this is, this is, you know. He's a good director. Right. Generally, I mean, that's never been no. really an issue. Never been it. his issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, no, I, I, I was, I was quite impressed with The Sixth Sense and it's one of the, I, I might not watch it again for a long time. I don't know. Um, right. I don't see myself popping it in. This isn't a rewatcher. No, yeah. no. Um, but, I'm glad I watched it again. It was kind of cool to revisit a movie that I only have, you know, a very small kind of selective memory of. And uh, viewing it through eyes, God, what, 17 years later, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, that's it was cool to watch it again. And I think that it is an important film in horror. And I think it's an important film in 99. So, mm. yeah. No, me too. How did you feel about I mean, I, you've, you've talked a little bit, but how did you feel about you know, the movie overall. I still like it. Um, it's never been like a favorite of mine. It might be my favorite of his. It's been a while since I've seen Unbreakable. I kind of like Signs. That's another one that I, I haven't do too. seen in a while. I do too. And I actually kind of, I like The Village up until the big twist. I even kind of like that because it's so doofy. Um, the twist is cool. I just don't think it was handled quite right. Right. You know, and I don't know how to handle it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still like it. I think the actors help. I think it's a little slow for me. I like things. I mean, it's an hour and 51 minutes and this is essentially, this is essentially a Twilight Zone episode. 
in a lot of ways. Um, but maybe like one of the hour longs Twilight episodes, uh, like the season five, I think. Um, but it held up better than I thought. It, I was a little bit, I forgot about the horror stuff that happens. That um, The scene where he, the one kid is behind the wall upstairs, or the, uh, the voice comes from the other side of the wall upstairs, mm-hmm. that voice is so good. Yeah. Like, it's so creepy. It's probably the scariest thing. It, other than, like, I was always freaked out in signs when the alien walks by the birthday party. That was some scary shit. <laughs> that freaked me out, too. <laughs> this actually still kind of got to me, too. The voice the voice is really good. Um, But I'm just... Donnie Wahlberg's fantastic. He's really good. And what's sad is is I, I feel like he would weirdly revisit this kind of character yeah. in Dreamcatcher, <laughs> <laughs> which is not so good. Um, so we could discuss Dreamcatcher at a later day. How good that would be. Are we going to though? Oh, uh, we'll discuss. It. We It'll come enough? up in conversation. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so yeah, owner of Wahlburgers, which is just installed a new Wahlburgers here in Detroit. I've not been there yet. Me neither. Has your wife? No, okay. I know she would like to go. Yeah. Perhaps we should we should make that a, a trip, a yeah. group trip to go yeah. to Wahlburgers. Yeah, to Wahlburgers. In honor of six, his performance at Six Sense. Yes. We'll, be, we'll go there as Six Sense super fans. Should we go there dressed up as his various characters throughout? Yeah, I will go as him in his underwear. From Six Sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. Underwear. You're going <laughs> to... <laughs> nasty stained underwear. <laughs> I'll go as Duddits. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I'll, be, I'll be really insensitive. I thought you meant various stages of dressy as in Six Sense. Oh, oh okay. We'd just all be his character from Six Sense. <laughs> um, so just real real quick, uh, I think the actor, actors elevate this movie quite a bit. Um, so that was kind of the point I wanted to make there. The other thing I took from this movie is we're in 99 now. We're at the end of the 90s, which I have mentioned that is a skeevy decade. It's our, It's disgusting. You need to take, like, if you look at the 90s, like, you read a book on the 90s, or go on the Wikipedia, you want to take a shower <laughs> after this. Um, it's And it's not just, like, it's everywhere. It's in politics. It's on TV. And I think a lot of it is because we're getting more access to everything and people's lives everywhere. I think, it, I honestly think people have always been this gross. We just didn't know about it before. Yeah, no, it's it's in the forefront at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're super horny. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because, yeah. I just I jotted down a couple scandals here that happened here. You get, so you got Monica Lewinsky we talked about, mm-hmm. Tamley, uh, Tamley, Tommy Lee, Pam Anderson, their sex tape, uh, that yeah. bad boy. Yeah. You got OJ. Oh, of course. That had happened. Uh, you got beloved children star Pee Wee Herman going at oh my gosh, yeah, in that's the movie right. theater, yeah. masturbating in the movie theater. Um, Hugh Grant and Eddie Murphy just picking up prostitutes. Yeah, they, uh, Eddie picked up yeah. Yeah. Christian Slater too I think that, did he yeah, yeah in the 90s was uh, you got pretty much everything Michael Jackson did in well the yeah, 90s. yeah. Uh, he was out of it um, and this was also a big like boom period for like trash TV so like Springer was on the air Maury Jenny Jones mm. uh, Howard Stern pro wrestling was huge and it was point. really gross at this point <laughs> no, <it's> just, <laughs> you go back and watch it even like as an adult and you watch some of the stuff. Like I'll I'll go back and watch like 90, late nineties pro wrestling. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, it's like ninety percent like of it's like brawn panties matches. So I guess <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a bunch of heathens. <laughs> yeah. We were. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up though, because it, Sixth Sense is not really a schlocky movie. The reason I'm bringing this up though is because it had become incredibly hard to shock people in '99, mm-hmm. and this movie did that. And that that is. Um, in a post-Scream era, too, for a horror movie to 
play it straight like this is quite an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And to shock people and surprise people the way it did. And it's weird because it doesn't, the story itself, like I said, it was just, it's a Twilight Zone story. But I don't think we had seen a lot of that kind of storytelling in movies at all um, up until this point. Um, but we were we were starting to see it again in 99. Because um, honestly, Memento and being John Malkovich, those aren't that different than a lot of Twilight Zone episodes in some ways. No, there are concepts there, those high concepts, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you got the twist at the end. But it's all, what works about it is all character and storytelling based. And that's what works. That's why this movie holds up to me is because it's still pretty airtight when it comes to the twist. I don't think it cheats. I want to say there's one scene where I thought it might. Like, blah, I don't remember it. But for the most part, I'm going to say no, it doesn't. It doesn't cheat this. It doesn't cheat the twist. It never downright cheats. There's a moment, I believe, when they're sitting, when the ma- mother, where Tony Collette, <clears throat> is sitting and it looks like she had been talking to the Bruce Willis character and uh, right. Haley Joel Osment walks in. It's a little bit, you know, it's borderline cheating. Like, it's close. You know what I mean? Yep. But it, it, technically, it does not ever cheat. Um, yep. The one thing I want to say real quick, uh, I, I forgot to mention this. I feel like everybody remembers the twist of this movie once they've seen it, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing that sticks with them. That and, of course, the immensely quotable I see dead people line. Yes. Um, which is the snotty Blair Witch uh, yeah. girl yeah. scene of this movie. Yeah. The, um, the one that was parodied a thousand times. Uh, but I don't think people often remember what happens after the twist, and that that scene right there was like that, like w- with Bruce Willis's character talking to his wife, and essentially saying goodbye to his wife. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. Uh, like I, that, the I see dead people scene is awesome too. It's really good. Yeah, because <laughs> it builds and builds. Yeah. And we already know what's going on uh-huh. at this point, and it's just, uh, just the release of the kid getting it off his chest at that point is just like. Thank God, like he told somebody. You know, right. I don't know. Yeah, those those two scenes. That that goodbye scene is like, uh, ooh man, it's rough. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, I'm actually getting infected by this. So right, that's cool. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really about it for me. I mean, that that's why the movie still holds up for me, mm-hmm. is because it is the twist. They play it straight. It it's got that idea of Twilight Zone where it, there's a lot of restraint to it as well, and you kind of you peel back the layers on your way there. And you let the audience fill in the blanks. And it had, I mean, we didn't have a lot of that at this time in a lot of ways. And we're starting to get that. 99 is a really kind of heady year for for movies. Um, the other thing, the other thing I kind of think about with the legacy of this movie around the time is uh, this and maybe Blair Witch. This one especially, though, this is the first time I kind of remember spoilers becoming a big deal. Um. Like I said, kids were pretty respectful. I didn't know around that time. I don't know if they would be today. I'm not today. I will just spoil anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're not that bad. Right. I guess we should have put a spoiler. These movies are 20 years old. Yeah. Um, but we are a spoiler-obsessed culture, though. Like, you can't say, and I get it. I get a lot of it, but you can't say a thing anymore about spoilers without somebody freaking out. And a lot of that has to do with the, the young oncoming of the internet here in a couple of years. But mm-hmm. I mean, it was around here, but it really blew up. So, um, I don't think this, I mean, obviously the spoiler is fun when you don't know it going into it with this movie. I think the movie still works in spite of it. Uh, yeah, I do too. In knowing it. Um, in different ways. Mm-hmm, me too. I think it actually adds a layer when you watch it back. It's fun because it's one of those, it's one of those twists where you do try to rewatch the movie and go, okay, did they really, right. were they, were they, 
legit about this? Did they cheat? You know, you do go through watching it like, wait a second, does this still work? Right. Well, but one of the things is, and I don't think, this is another thing that I don't think horror or Hollywood maybe took the best lesson from this movie, which is they started to just try to shock people with twist endings. Even Shyamalan did. Um, But this movie proved that, and I think the Conjuring movies still prove this, if you just tell a story really well, it'll and you have talent behind the camera like the, you it'll work um you don't have to change the game all the time you can just do something and do it well and this movie proved that and i i kind of wish that was the lesson that was taken from this movie because i don't think it was sometimes yeah oftentimes uh things are interpreted a little differently than i would have preferred but you know that's okay that's... yep um that's about it for me yeah um definitely wh- worth revisiting if you if you have already seen it and I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat. They've probably seen it the one time or maybe twice and just haven't gone back to it. I, I say go back to it. Watch it again. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might notice different things or take different things from it. Cool. All right, well, I got another quiz for you. All right, let's do it. I'm going to talk a little bit about Category 3 um, horror, Japanese horror movies, Asian horror movies. Ooh, boy. I got this from, this is from taken from horrornews.net. Okay. Uh, these are Cat 3 otherwise known as Category 3, is the rating system used on extreme horror and exploitation films from the Asian market. Oh. While these films range from extremely disturbing horror to pornographic, this list is... Oh, yeah. This is... They're also classified under pinku, pink films. This is when filmmakers blend extreme violence, torture, gore, or taboo subject matter. These are referred to as Category 3 movies. I did not know this. Yeah. Yep. Um... There are some gray lines. Like, there's a like. To- have you seen Tokyo Gore Police? Do you know of it? Tokyo Gore. I know Police? of it. I have not seen it. That is not a Category Three film because it's there is um, it's extremely gory, but it's kind of played in kind of a goofy way. If that you makes mean sense. the the Japanese censors actually understand yeah. humor <laughs> you blend with? Okay, that's good. So um, that falls outside of it. Um. And it also, that's more gory content too. And the Category 3 movies, kind of like J-sploitation as it's called on this, um, are not, they don't have a comedic dark tone. They're more, and they work in a lot of sexual mm-hmm. things as yeah, well. Yeah, a lot of undertones as well. Yep. Sometimes not even undertones. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've, seen a, I've seen a quite a bit of J-horror in my life. Not all of it. Uh, I have not, there are some... Uh, category three films which i have seen looking at the list one of them we're talking about now mm-hmm. audition but some of these titles are complete and utter insanity and i want to give you a quiz to see if you can t- separate the real titles from stuff i just made up okay are you ready sure i've got a few here all right we're gonna get to the first one uh angel guts Four red porno is that real or something i made up uh you made that one up that is real. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, off to oh a good my start. God. Off to a good start. Um, all right, we'll move on to the next one. We have Devil Fetus. Devil Fetus. You made that one up. Real. What? Okay. Okay. All right. Devil Fetus. Suction cup murder mystery. Now I want to see you made it up again because like this is two in a row. But then this kind of sounds Japanese to me. Uh, I'm going to go made up. That is fake. Okay. There is a real one. Okay. There is a real that I kind of 
parody there. It's called Water Tank Murder Mystery. Oh. Uh, right? Um, all right. We did that one. <laughs> terrible Meal, Terrible Dinner, Ultra Vomit Girl. Uh, this is going to be real. That is real. Yeah. Oh, have you seen it? No, no, I have not. I have not seen uh, Ultra Vomit Girl. Uh, uh, I don't know that I want to, but you know, maybe. So you're you're two, right? You got two. I got two, two. Right, two, right? I'm two for four. Two for four. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. Um, school girl buried in needles. Oh, fake. That is fake. No, oh, right. Three in a row. The, there is a real one that is called Concrete School Girl in Cement. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a really boring movie. Right. <laughs> it kind of like buried. Right. right, right. Yeah. yeah. I would have probably watched the concrete one. Um, <laughs> Embryo hunts in secret. Embryo hunts in secret. Um, I'll go real. That is real. You are on a roll. I know, right? Yep. The comeback kid over here. Female teacher in rope hell. I hope you made it. You know what? I hope you made this up. Part of me hopes you did. Yeah, you made it up. It's real. Oh my god, it's real. Female teacher in rope hell. In rope hell. I was. I would assume there are different layers of hell, and this female teacher is in rope hell. Is in the rope hell. In the rope version. Of All right. Hell. Well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no. Poor female teacher. I like how it's a female teacher in rope hell. Most of these seem to be based around females. Pretty incredibly misogynistic then? Yeah, Jeopardy, we'll get into that. Okay. Jeopardy's have their issues sometimes. Sure, sure. In in films. Last one. Cataclysm of leeches. Oh, boy. Um, I'll go made up on this one. It is fake. Okay. But there is one, there's a movie called Calamity of Snakes. Ooh, Calamity of Snakes. I like it that you made up a movie called Cataclysm of Leeches. I kind of I would watch that too. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's kickstart this I'll, this film. I'll pump out the script. We'll do a live read on one of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh boy. <laughs> just yeah, screaming. Just yelling at each other. Audition is what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Um, quick summary of audition: A widowed TV producer holds a faux audition in search of for a prospective wife. One candidate in particular stands out, a lovely ex-ballerina dressed in white who turns out not to be all that he believes her to be as he finds out that certain autobiographical autobiographical details don't quite check out. She has a number of scars on her legs and he learns that people in her life have a habit of disappearing. Is that a, that's kind of a summary of this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah more or less. Yeah. She's certainly not all she's. No, she's not all be. she's cracked up. That she's not a little sweetheart. She's not a dream. Sure. She's not a dream. No. Willie, get us started. I just, I like that we picked this movie for the first episode. I, I think, love that we picked this movie. I first. think this sets a tone. Yes. Like we're not, we're not be covering all the big ones. No. And we might get a little slimy, and schlocky, and gross. And I think it's only fair considering that we've traveled back to '99 and right. we've talked about how kind of sleazy that '99 can be. Right. Um. I had seen Audition before this. Me too. Uh, I believe twice. It's one of those movies where, um, because the internet, uh, the internet age was really, you know, upon us in '99. By the time '99 rolled around, we did start to learn about these foreign films. We did start mm-hmm. to learn that these things, believe it or not, other countries made movies. I know. It was it was a wonder to behold. What was very cool about that, being a horror fan during this time period, was that you were being exposed to this stuff, stuff like Cannibal Holocaust that maybe you had never heard of before, and and like Audition. Um, 
I remember the kind of urban legend of audition, but well before I ever saw the movie, because um, I didn't see it back in '99. I think I saw it oh, probably ten years ago. I was gonna say I saw it in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I saw it maybe my senior year of high school. It wasn't until I got around like a cool video store, right? That would have this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this was one of those first movies that I remember like hearing legends of on the internet before I actually saw it and the build, just the natural build to actually finally seeing it. Like this is, this is too extreme. This is the most extreme you've ever seen. You'll never see anything like it. You know, people are fainting and barfing in the audience. You know what I mean? Like that, that was the kind of thing I was dealing with. Um, what is interesting about audition is that it's not nearly as grotesque as a lot of people made it out to be it is grotesque i mean believe me by by the end of the third act things are getting gross but it's actually kind of once again kind of a really interesting drama like a dramatic story yeah um and i think that gets lost on a lot of people i think a lot of people just take away the um and once again we're going to be spoiling things so i think a lot of people just take away oh well the guy in the sack that's missing an arm and a leg and a tongue (laughs) or oh remember when she saws his foot off with the with the rope i do want to just interject real quickly Mm -hmm. the sound the foot makes when it hits the window is the funniest thing it's so funny (laughs) like i was it's such it's the best thump that ever happened um, it reminded me, there's a movie, God, do you remember what movie it was where they're throwing, <laughs> there, there's some characters, it's a comedy, they're sitting in a fast food restaurant and they're throwing pickles at the window and watching them race down the window. Mm, no. What movie is that? You know what I'm talking I about, I know though, exactly right? what you're talking God, about. God, I wish, if somebody, somebody let us know. Yeah, Because I can't remember what movie that was. Feedback. But, the, but the, the sound it makes reminded me of the pickles hitting the window and sliding down. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... So I, uh, watching Audition this time, once again, I was really just taken by how how invested I became in the story itself. And it is, once again, a simple story, just told really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is interesting about Audition in terms of dealing with the year of 99 is this is when I, I feel like we first started to kind of experience, well, we weren't experiencing it firsthand, but started hearing about online dating. Uh-huh. That's what I get, take from this movie is is the the fear of not really knowing the person who's sitting across the dinner table from you. Right, it's terrifying. Right, and I've never been I've never online dated before. I have friends that have. Um, sometimes it turns out good. Sometimes it doesn't. Never quite turned out like audition. Thank God. Uh, right. Yeah. Everybody I know has made it out. Well, you, I don't think they did on Craigslist. I imagine that's where. That's yeah, probably where that's they, where audition happens. That's where things. Yeah. <laughs> things get really dark on Craigslist. <laughs> but no. But I think that this this movie is kind of tapping into that fear of meeting somebody very anonymously. You know, meeting somebody who you you can see you can see everything about them on paper. But it's not at all what they're really like. I mean, anybody can lie. Anybody can make up, uh, can catfish somebody. And that's a, that's like a term now is catfishing. Right. Um, anybody can do that. And, and this is certainly taken to the extreme, but it's believable to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like obviously, it's a little different because this guy's a, a film producer and uh, he's uh, able to actually audition these women, you know, in person, which is certainly different. But isn't it kind of the same thing? You know, a little bit. I mean, isn't he kind of swiping right? A little bit or left? Yeah. I don't know which way do you swipe when you don't like. Uh, swipe right. Swipe right. Sure. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I haven't used Tinder either. Okay, so yeah, swiping. Like he's swiping. He's swiping. He keeps swiping. He's swiping them. Yeah. You know? I think. And I guess the difference is, it, with online dating, it's a little bit more of a two-way street than it is in this movie. This is true. Yep. This is where we get skeevy, though. Yep. This is the thing. So, on one hand, 
this could be like what's amazing about audition <laughs> is this movie's setup the basic concept of a widower who's kind of inspired by his son mm-hmm. to get back get back on the horse get himself back out there that little piece of shit by the way caused this whole chain of events yeah anyway so he's just inspired to get back out that's there. right he gets his he does <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And gives his actually, yeah. um, he you know he's he's you know, get get back out there, dad. You know it's time to get back on the horse. I think you can do it. And does this gentleman do it in the grossest way possible? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's ba- he's lying to all these women. Like he's yeah, it's gross. It's really gross. <laughs> yeah. Um. But at the same time, I could see this exact plot fitting into like a Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson romantic is comedy. Is that not what you describe? Is that not the plot to Sleepless in Seattle? It is, right? Yeah. Like, the, like any other version of this story, it would be like, oh, it's like a meet cute. Like, yeah. oh, you know, like, like I'd still feel like it was skeevy, but I'd forgive it because it's the smiling, hunky American star. Right. And this one, it still feels pretty oh skeevy. Could you imagine if they remade this movie with Tom Hanks? With Tom Hanks? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. That would be something else. Yeah. Who plays uh who plays the the young lady? It's gonna be younger, a little younger. A little younger, yeah. The Tom Hanks, Emily Blunt. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is so weird. <laughs> I don't want to see Tom Hanks get his foot chopped off. No, that's the point though. Yeah. Nobody wants to see it. It'd mess you up. But. Maybe I, I don't know, maybe this this actor I and I I do not know the actor's name, I apologize. Maybe this actor is the um is the Tom Hanks of Japan and we just don't realize it. Right. So yeah. But um no, I, I I really enjoyed watching Audition this time. And I think maybe as much as I enjoyed the, uh, watching the other two again, I think I might have enjoyed this one the most out of the three. Um, it's really, really unnerving. You never feel safe during this movie. Even before uh, Asami is her name, I believe. Yes. Even before she's introduced, you already feel uncomfortable. Like because of the nature of how he's auditioning these girls, you already are starting to feel uncomfortable. You're already starting to feel like... Uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like something's wrong here and I don't like what I'm watching, but there's a weird sense of elegance and beauty to this movie too. Oh yeah. Uh, Takashi Miike. He's, he can shoot a movie. I've seen quite a, I've seen a few of his movies that they could, they're varying degree, degrees of quality. Sure. But they all look good. Absolutely. Miike yeah. is so interesting because he, he will make anything. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean that in a, in a bad way. I think oftentimes with American directors, they get so pigeonholed and directing the same stuff over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, Miike is like, he's directed Westerns and straight up horror films and uh, samurai movies. <laughs> he's done everything. Right. Um, and, but you're right. They always look pretty. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention before I, you know, before you talk a little bit about audition is, how sympathetic I found the Asami character. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, she's doing deplorable stuff. I mean, horrible, nasty, horrific stuff. But I feel she's so sad. She's like a really sad character. Um, just I. There's a scene where she's. It's kind of a montage. Um, bouncing between her and what's the the lead character's name? Do you know off the top of your head? I, I can't remember what his name is. Um, it is Shig- Shigeharu. Shigeharu? Okay. Yeah. Shigeharu. Um, oh, yeah. He was in the, the Grudge. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. Oh, he's in the Grudge? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, uh, Shigeharu. So he's he's kind of, they're, they're bouncing. He's kind of doing his day-to-day uh, just life stuff, and it keeps cutting back to her. And normally, if this was, once again, the romantic comedy version of Audition, which is insane, but it could exist, we'd be bouncing from him and her like doing things opposite each other, like just their day-to-day lives. Her day-to-day life is 
sitting on a floor with her head down, just praying for a phone call. Right. It's the saddest thing right. I've ever seen. Yeah, and he takes advantage of it. Yes, he does. And her only company is a guy that's done this to her in the past in a potato sack <laughs> who just grunts. I mean, it's really sad. It is. And to be honest, at the end, by the time everything shakes out and, and she's been he's been horrifically tortured, undeservedly so. No one deserves that. Yeah. Horrifically tortured. His son's been... Terror, like terrorized and she's been killed or she's dying like I, I I feel nothing but it's not even pity I don't pity her I just feel sad for her mm-hmm. what a horrible sad lonely life and she was what in her 20s yeah it just ugh yeah but it's so good it is it's so good yeah what did you think of Odashin this time this is my favorite movie of the three it's so good I, I, like I, I was I love this movie and this this viewing cemented it because when I was when I first saw it, I yeah, I think I was I was in college, and I grew up in northern Michigan. We didn't have a lot of access to foreign films, um, so this is once I got around a cool video store, I was able to like see stuff like this, and I watched it. and It did it blew me away at the time, but I never I never really grasped. I didn't grasp what it was saying. I think until I watched it this time, and it's a lot deeper. Because at first I thought. I just followed along as pure story mm-hmm. where it pre- presents itself as a regular story, like you're saying. And then it just kind of, in the third act, it goes completely bonkers and very surreal at times. It's, it's amazing. It's very dreamy. Even if you watch it just on that level of pure storytelling, I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a way it's it, a lot like six sense and Blair Witch in that way where it, yeah, it builds, builds to something a little bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I've been I've been watching a little bit of J horror lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, catching up. I've been watching the Grudge and Ring movies. Yeah, you're building up to the uh, the big yeah. crossover. Yeah, big Ring. Uh, cro- ring v Grudge. Ring v Grudge. And one of the things I've noticed, and I did a little bit of research on this because I was interested in it, but like a lot of Japanese horror is a flat out. It's a reaction to World War Two. Um, the Grudge takes place in a house that was built after World War II. Um, they make mention of it in the movie. Like, they call it out in the movie as a thing. Um, Sadako, um, from the Ring movies, um, she's inspired by, uh, I believe it's pronounced a buto, which is a, the way she moves is kind of like a grotesque dance form created after World War II. Like, they based it on a lot of kind of like creepiness. Um, the main character in this, Asami, she's very much a traditional um, kind of woman. She they make her look her hair straight down, kind of like a pre World War Two Japanese woman. So I mean, a lot of this movie, this movie as well is kind of I've seen misogyny thrown at this movie too. In a way, I think this movie kind of dislikes everybody. I I don't disagree. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I the the reason I bring this up is because. I did a little research on kind of gender roles in Japan since World War II because it's been changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, pre-World War II. Um, here's here's a, uh, they're very traditional. Households were very traditional. Here's a story I found from World War II. Uh, poor women 
in Japan were drafted by the Japanese government to sexually service military men. They were known as comfort women. These women worked in assembly line-like environment. Soldiers referred to these women as hygienic public bathrooms or even semen toilets. Um, officers had to access professional process. Yeah, really? I'm really... <laughs> really ruining everything. It's, yeah. Uh, officers had access to professional prostitutes. Men were expected to use these services. It was believed that men who abstained from sex for too long fought poorly. So I just bring that up because that's kind of the attitude um, we're dealing with here. I mean, women were expected to stay at home, um, were expected um, to kind of take care of the house. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, since World War II, though, those kind of family ideals, uh, Confucian family ideals, they've kind of shifted and that the World War II is kind of where it starts. Um, they had, there was a civil code in 1947 now that says that women could inherit a family of state. Women could marry and divorce freely. Women gain parental rights. Women could vote. Um, both men and women express strong intentions of marriage. I think there's a lot of... I wish I knew a little bit more about J- Japanese culture, but there's a lot of very strange um, sexual things going on over there. Um, I wish I knew a little bit more about it. I've read a little bit more about it, but um, and I think that plays a huge role in this movie. And it could only the main character Sami is almost a response to that in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, she's got a very traditional look to her. She looks like a lot. She looks a lot like the ghosts from the Ring. And grudge movies. I, I did notice that this time around. Yeah. yeah. She's awesome, by the way. Yeah. Sammy's really, like, she's one of the cool, like, iconic characters, mm-hmm. I think, in modern horror. Um, but she is very much, there's a very much a, she's kind of a um, a picture of kind of like the revolution in, or the changing generals in it, because she's very much an independent woman as well. I mean, she's been, but she's also been hurt and tortured by the, um, by men in the past. I mean, she's kind of a stand-in in a lot of ways, I think, for the changing generals in society. And um, there's one scene in particular um, where they're, the two men are at the bar and they're having a drink and there's a group of independent women in the background and they're kind of having fun and they start laughing and the two men are just, the one in particular, not the main character, but the other guy, um, his uh, fellow producer, I think he's really irritated by it. And they they say in the movie, they go, where have all the good girls gone? Japan is finished. And there's, that's the reason he picks Asami is because he kind of reminds her of that bygone era mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then he gets to her, he gets there and she's not that. Like, and you're not going to get that anymore, I think is what kind of what the movie is trying to say. That's really interesting. I, I, you, If you look at her kind of her presentation early on in the film mm-hmm. her um, her mannerisms the way she carries herself uh, even her dialogue you could see a lot of in a way she you're right she is a stand-in for Japanese women right um, and she's got that very kind of docile you know very subs- she seems very subservient you know what I mean when right. she's she's kind of keeping her eyes down and not you mm-hmm. know what I mean not meeting his his eye contact and stuff like that and that's interesting yeah. yeah, and she's she does she, by the end she's she's not that no yeah. no 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 and she's destroying you know and, and she says in the movie she goes I mean it calls out men specifically in the movie because she goes you just wanted to have sex with me you're all the same I mean it, he gets what's coming to him no I mean and a lot of it is a lot of it is 
I think maybe meant to be taken more at a metaphorical level too mm-hmm. than um than actual serious because I don't yeah but it, but she's also cutting I think it's interesting she's cutting off their extremities too like she's cutting off hands she's she's turning them into monsters or things I think in this yeah movie. and it's she, well and she's she's taking away she's taking away she's not surprisingly she's not cutting off uh right genitalia right which is something that you would actually expect if they're if they're kind of dealing with the idea of uh women you know fighting back against the man you know but i mean she's removing their feet yeah um which is what you get around on i mean there's like like she has there's no hope for she's more or less trying to dehumanize them kind of in the same way that she's been dehumanized yes by them 100 percent. cutting out the tongue is something i find that's that's interesting too um And then I think some of it's just done because we've never seen it before. Some right. of the, like the acupuncture needles and stuff like Me that. Me too, yeah. I think that's just done because it's one of those things where you're like, holy crap, I've never seen this right. handled this Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's intense. It's, yeah, it's intense stuff. Um, and I, th- but this movie, real quick, there are so many, what I find to be iconic visuals in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the poster alone. The image of her. Yeah. With the gloves. Yeah. And uh, she's got kind of a, almost like a butcher's type Yeah, kind of like a leather smock. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's so iconic to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's as that's as iconic to me as uh, the hockey mask. That, you know what I mean? This image, I'm, I look at it and I go, oh my God, Japanese horror. Like, and like, oh boy, get, like ready yourself. Because it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the image of the, the sack is that... When, yeah. just the sack itself just the idea like and it moving around a little bit and stuff that's one of those those great horror images that's just ingrained even right. before we see what's in the sack um which by the way i wanted to mention one one little bit of trivia that i read about this one um, yeah. apparently the uh the actress who plays sami um is a method actress okay and i don't know if you read about this is this i did not okay. no and she's a method actress uh-huh. and she actually vomited into that bowl and he is actually eating her vomit out of the bowl <laughs> supposedly according to Mike, she went in the bathroom and vomited in the bowl and fed the yeah oh, i love it it's so insane to me like oh boy anyway what a whirlwind no it really is yeah yeah everybody should see this movie <laughs> i agree like, like, well, like here's the thing is if you're listening to this podcast yeah. And you're not listening because you're a relative of ours? You should probably watch this movie. Yeah, but I was going to say, even, it's so weird because this obviously influenced, Eli Roth is the one that's popping in my head right now. This obviously influenced him, and you sit back and watch this, and it's not any more crazy than some of the stuff that happens in the hostile movies. And those are mainstream movies, I think, for the most part. And ha- the difference here is, once again, I feel, and I'm, I I like Hostile enough. Me too. I like I like both of them. Yeah. It's a fine movie. But I think, once again, this is the an, a perfect example of a director that sees something, is inspired by it, says, I want to make something like that, but he takes all the elements that are less interesting and right. makes a movie out of it and mm-hmm. doesn't keep the other stuff. Right. There's no To me, Hostel is just, it's a story of, it's, it, it is what it is. It's this, that surface level. I think the first one, more, I think the second one has some stuff going on. Maybe we can Maybe the that. second one. Yeah. Maybe the second one. But that, that first one, in fact, actually, that first one is kind of misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, if anything, he... he I I respect the fact that Roth enjoys these movies and is trying to make movies similar or inspired by. I don't think he quite gets it. Right. Um, and one, uh, Tarantino is another one who I think um, 
he the, i i know this is one of his favorite movies yeah um like ever yeah um actually uh, sam jackson Samuel oh, Jackson. Sam Jackson rates it as his favorite modern Japanese movie, I think. That's right. Awesome. It was in Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Sam Jackson's such an interesting human being yeah, to me. Really we could we could do a whole episode <laughs> just about Sam Jackson. But anyway, so um I think anybody who's listening to this podcast, um, because of their interest in horror, mm-hmm. uh, should see this. Me if too. you have not seen if it. If you have not seen it. And yeah. if you have seen it, watch it again. Yeah. I I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. hear that sentiment. Dig deep, you know what I mean. Look for some of the stuff that's under the surface, because you might even you might see a lot of stuff that we didn't even yep. get around to. I'd be very curious to see. Once again, please, by all means, uh, we'll give you opportunities at the end of the episode to you know to contact us and, and please get a hold of us. Let us know what you've noticed in audition. That, right. That's one that I think there's so much going on. Yeah, under the surface. So, Me too. Yeah. Me too. All right. Ninety nine. What a year. What a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna. Real quick here, what do you give? What do you give in uh, old ninety nine? You get a letter grade for it for the year as a whole, or, or the maybe, yeah. Let me let me let me find a list here. Yeah, in horror movies that year because I think it's a pretty solid year, honestly. I think these three alone are enough reason to these. For... All right, here we go. The other movies, The Haunting, no, not so good. Stir of Echoes, that's all right. I like Stir of Echoes yeah. quite a bit. Ravenous, love Ravenous. Yeah, yeah. If our if our fellow co-host Nick is listening. Love Ravenous. Yeah. Well, we we should talk about yeah. Ravenous is good. House on Haunted Hill remake. I like that quite a bit. A lot of fun. Yep. Sleepy Hollow. Uh, it's it's good. I think it's one of yeah. Burton's last good movies. Yeah. Uh, Lake Placid. Love Lake Placid. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Stigmata. I like Stigmata. I like Stigmata too. I if I'm picking one, it's gonna be uh, Stir of Echoes though. In that kind of. I might even pick Stir of Echoes over Sixth Sense. Me too. Me too. It, just in terms of rewatchability and yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> the best. Say no more. <laughs> End of days. End of days, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not good. Kind of fun. Kind of fun. I mean, it's Arnie versus the devil. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's killed everything else. So, like, why not? Right. Pin him I, up against Gabriel Byrne. I just watched End of Days. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Pretty excited about it. Okay. It's Idle Hands. A lot of fun. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember loving it. Yep. As a teenager. The Mummy. That's not. That's action. Yeah, still fun though. Still fun. It has some horror elements. I, I, there's some visuals there that, I, that are pretty gross. Some of the guys, some of the uh, the uh, guys melting and deteriorating and stuff like that was kind of yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, the Ninth Gate. It's been a while since I've seen that. I don't remember liking that. Not great, much. a little too ponderous for me. But me too. I remember being very slow. Yeah. All right, now we're getting to the ugly stuff. The Rage Carry Two. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I kind of hate that movie. It's not good. Yeah, that was one of the that was one of the first movies where I watched it. Like, I wish I did that did not exist. Unfortunately, th- what's happened with Carrie afterwards, with all the remakes and yeah. sequel kind of sequels, mm-hmm. like it's kind of hurt the first movie for me, which is really? a bummer. Yeah, yeah, I watched the like the first the movie was on like. It was on Sundance or something a month month or so ago, and I watched the first uh, 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, this movie is awesome. It's really good. It's yeah. really good. I just feel like it's hurt the legacy a little bit. There's so much crap that came after it. I don't know. We'll roll through some of these. Bats, starring Lou Diamond Phillips. Great. Yeah, fun stuff. Versus. I love Versus. <laughs> I forgot Versus was 99, man. Or no, I'm saying that Versus Virus. Oh, oh, Virus. Versus. I don't love that one so much. Yeah. Oh, we can talk about Versus some other time, I think. Because I think it's a different year. Because uh, so, I know what you're talking about. The Astronaut's Wife. Kind of a cool little thriller. Yeah, I think that's kind of fun, too. Um, Children of the Corn, 666. Yikes. Candyman, 3. Yeah. Tony Todd's in it. That's yeah, I mean, that, that's a pass. Warlock, 3. <laughs> Wishmaster, 2. Hey. That's where we'll end it. Yeah, that's it. Wishmaster, 2 is always where you end it. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone far enough. I, I would s- say, overall, 
I would say overall, honestly, that this if I had to get a letter grade, okay, yeah, um, with A plus being flawless, which right. really isn't per- isn't possible, um, I'd give this one. I think it gets like a B plus. I was thinking, I was thinking A minus. I think I might bump down to B plus. Yeah, I I mean the haunting came out right. Think about how much and how, I ju- yeah how much money was spent on that movie mm-hmm. that could have been spent on other movies. <laughs> and these movies, oh gosh, I don't know. It's tough. Like there, these movies are all good. I don't know if audition is great. We'll see how. It, I just don't know if there's that one like iconic one you point to. Yeah, maybe you do with Blair Witch and audition. Yeah, I, I think I think that any of the three that we we selected for yeah, this right. episode could be the horror movie of '99. Yeah, any of these three. I think Audition. The only thing that holds Audition back is because, unfortunately, it is a Japanese film, and for a lot of people, that's going to be hard to say that's the movie of the yeah. horror movie. You know what I mean? I think that's the best movie. I, of the three, I think that is the best. I would rank that as the number one horror movie of '99. Me too. Even the stuff we didn't talk about, it would be. Yep. You know. Yeah. All right. That was 1999. Yep. You good wrapping it up? That's the class of '99. Um, Willie, oh sorry. That's yeah. No, I'm 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 just I just want to say I, I thought I had a lot of fun. I yeah, hope, I hope you guys did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us give us some feedback. Yeah, yeah. We'd Speaking love to hear from of you. feedback. Um, we are on Facebook. Uh, we are facebook.com/slash horror movie yearbook. Um, we are on Twitter, so please tweet at us and harass us or yell at us or be happy with us, whatever you want to do. Uh, that's at hm yearbook. H as in horror, M as in movie, yearbook. Um, we also have a wonderful uh, website, yes, horrormovieyearbook.com. And if you don't want to reach us on any of those social networking uh, platforms, you could shoot us an email. We are horrormovieyearbook at gmail.com. Yes. Yes. Please do. I agree with all of these things. <laughs> you're, you're okay with all this? I, this? I get a pass? Yeah, you can pass again. All right. You are still, we're done. You're still my co-host. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so um, um, are we going to talk about uh, what we're doing for yeah. the next episode? Should we at least let the let the fine folks know what year we're covering? Right. Oh, hey, real quick, listen to our other podcast on the Midwest Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, game Nerds, Midwest Game Nerds. The Midwest Game Nerds. Westworld FM. Mm-hmm. Which is a uh, kind of a uh, review, wrap-up, discussion show about uh, the currently running uh, HBO show Westworld. Exactly. And then... We have 200 episodes of the Midwest Film Nerves podcast in the can. Yes. We do some horror movies. We did some uh, Fight the Franchise where we review horror franchises. We do all sorts of movies on there. It's so. definitely worth going back and listening to. If, if you right. if you like the sound of our voices or mm-hmm. enjoy our thoughts, um, I think you'd have some fun going back. And, and There's plenty of horror stuff, too, if that's kind of just your bag is the horror stuff. Yep. There's plenty to find on there. So. Yeah. Um, where were you going before I interrupted you? Or I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, next next episode, we're going to take a look at, and I'm not ready to announce the films yet. Okay. Um, I think we'll do that. Um, we'll kind of kind of tease, tease these fellows the, and yeah. ladies and fellows on the uh, on the interwebs with them for a little while. But uh, 1981. Ooh, good year. Further back. Good year. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about it. 81 in my head. I'm gonna. What I like to do. Just real quick, with like ninety nine, I like to go on Spotify and uh, download like the Billboard Top one hundred of that year, or like any sort of and eighty one in my head feels like a light rock year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that the films we are going to be talking <laughs> about no, reflect <laughs> that, but it'll yeah. be a lot of fun to talk about. I think we've got a few interesting ones, different stuff. Um, and eighty one was certainly a very different time than ninety nine. So. 
that's the fun of a show like this, and I think that's why I love the idea of just selecting a random year um, for each episode, is we get to kind of fill in the gaps. And, yep. uh, you know, I feel like doing something like going from 99 to 2000, 2001, I think there's there's a lot of carryover and a lot of um, uh, year-to-year things can be very different, depending on what happened that year. But I feel like there is a lot of uh, similar stuff going on. I mean, you know, stuff only advances so quickly. Right. And I'm glad that we get to head even further back and uh, hang out with all the, uh, I don't know, all the big hair. Was big hair around there? No. I no, I hadn't quite hit yet. No. New Wave was starting to, starting to hit, though, right? Yeah, yeah. 81. 81. 81. Clearly, I have to do some research on 81 before yeah, we... I'm looking, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll look at it, and then we'll come back to it. Oh, boy, I just typed in 81 fashion. A lot of collars. Oh, uh, cool! A lot of colored, cool. like polo type shirts. I think cocaine was starting to kind of, starting to kind of take yeah, hold, <laughs> which explains some of the movies we'll be talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, very excited about that. Um, this guy's dressed up like a cowboy. Oh boy! Yeah, I remember like cowboy chic was kind of big then too. Like that's cool. Uh, like dressing up like, because country music was like Kenny Rogers was around. I think one of our villains uh, for one of our eighty-one movies wears a cowboy hat for a while. <laughs> Good, and a duster, if I remember correctly. Good. So, all right. excited about that. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, I don't have a sign off. Well, know. thank you so much for yeah, listening. Thanks for to listening. Us. This is a lot of fun, and we hope that you guys come back for eighty-one. Bye. See ya.